roll and I'll just feel something. Welcome to Rackhouse Ramblings Podcast. I'm Jeff, your host. Here I like to talk about bourbon and anything related to it. Sometimes I talk about life experiences. Sometimes I talk about adventures I've had. Sometimes I just talk about things I'm interested in. But you know what? Every time I talk from the heart. I'm a firefighter. I'm a craftsman. I'm an avid outdoors person, and I'm a lover of all things handcrafted. Thanks for taking time to listen. I'll do my best to make it worth your while. Rackhouse Ramblings is on the air. This is episode 42. It's the third episode of the third season, and I've got a great show for you guys today. I just came back from the archery opener uh, here in Michigan. I was up north at my cabin in beautiful Alcona County. Spent a few days with my friends uh, James and Paul. Paul's a firefighter, fellow firefighter I work with, and uh, we had a lot of fun. I was really excited for Paul because he is a new bow hunter. He jumped in feet first, got himself outfitted, got a bow, some clothes, all that, and uh, came on up. I set him up with a place to hunt, a place to stay, and we had a uh, really, really good time. Uh, you know what? Let's, before, I, want, I really want to get into that, but before we do, um, let's talk about episode 42. We're going to do some bow hunting talk. We're going to do some bourbon talk. We're going to touch on some Fred Bear stuff, and you know what? The last topic I'm going to leave you guys in suspense, but I promise, promise, it will be interesting. It was interesting to me, and I think you'll like it too. So let's get into bourbon right out of the gate. In the spotlight this week is, um, it's a bourbon I'm sure you've heard of. I'm sure you've seen it on the shelf. Uh, it's Bradshaw Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. And if the name Bradshaw sounds familiar, well, it should. It's the NFL Hall of Fame quarterback, Terry Bradshaw. Um, you see him on every Sunday, right, on Fox Sports and all that. And on the E! Channel and uh, with his family and things like that. So now Terry Bradshaw has his name on a bourbon bottle. Uh, I think I paid $45, $44.99, something like that. Uh, mid-range. Uh, for Well, I guess you shouldn't say mid-range. Um, upper mid-range, right? I found this at Wine Palace. So uh, let's take a look at the bottle. It's a simple... Uh, shaped bottle, nothing too fancy, but it's the label that catches my eye. This label is full of stats, like football stats. has um, a little sticker with the Roman numerals 9, 10, 13, and 14. And guess what those are? Those are the Super Bowls that he won. <laughs> um, all about the football, right? And that's what you got. And then the main label, um, there's some more stats. 1974, 75, 78, 79. Guess what? Those are the years he played the Super Bowl. He won the Super Bowl, right? Um Let's read some more here. Uh, further on down the label, it says Bradshaw Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, 103.8 proof, 51.9% alcohol by volume. Also says batch number two and says it was born in Owensboro, Kentucky. And then it has these letters, DSP-KY-10. Hmm. Further down the label, it says it's aged a minimum of two years. So remember, not being a single barrel, this is a... a, a bunch of barrels opened up and put together. So it's saying the youngest barrel is two years. Doesn't have an age statement for the oldest barrel, but just saying uh, the youngest is two years. So I went to the website, bradshawbourbon.com, and I wouldn't call it one of the better websites. It's a good website, but uh, I guess considering when you don't have much to sell, right, you only want have one thing. So anyway, he has more than one product to sell. I, I stand corrected. You can buy, like, swag. He has a, uh, a dog toy that's shaped like a bourbon bottle. He has t-shirts, baseball hats, little tumbler glasses, and then the, the tasting glasses called the Glencairn. Uh, it's like hour shap, hourglass shaped uh, glass for uh, 
tastings and has some videos too. I watched the one, um, one video shows uh, Terry strolling through the distillery and walking around with this master distiller and they go through the mash process and the bottling and the barrels, all that sort of thing. And so after seeing what was going on there and who the master distiller was, I kind of backtracked and found out uh, this uh, bourbon comes from Green River Distilleries in, uh, what was it, Owensboro, Kentucky. Uh, they really don't come out and say who makes it. I'm sure there's some non-disclosure or something, but it's not hard to figure out. So further down, uh, let's read what they say on their website. Four Super Bowl victories was no ordinary feat, but then Terry Bradshaw was an ordinary player. So it makes sense that Terry Bradshaw, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey is anything but ordinary. Blended from the finest grains and aged in hand-selected barrels, the 212 blend says 212-212 blend is worthy of a nod from a true champion. It says, for the nose, we nose vanilla, toffee, banana, leather, and campfire notes. For the palate, cinnamon, baking spices, vanilla, and coconut. For the finish, wood, vanilla, and butterscotch. So there you have it. I'm guessing, I bet you the 212, don't quote me on it, is probably the number of barrels that are going to be in the batch. So let's see what we got here. This bottle is unopened. And uh, I'll open it for you guys here. Throw away that wrapper. There you go. That's no sound effects. That's the real shit. It sounds like I'm pouring a lot, but really it's probably about one ounce. So the color in the bottle, it's like a, a straw color. Oh, sorry about that, guys. Stand right there. Boom. Okay. I bumped my mic, so bear with me. Well, that's pretty good. It's a, if I was going to describe the flavor, I would say quiet, uh, definitely mild, definitely butterscotch, definitely vanilla. Um, very easy to drink, very smooth. I would, uh, this would be a good bottle if you wanted to give somebody a gift for sure. Yeah, something, um, let me try another sip. Yeah, not bad at all. Not bad. Very much vanilla, very much butterscotch are the two that I taste. Um, I would say the finish might be a little, <laughs> might be a little strong on the finish. <laughs> we'll have to ponder on that some more. We'll have some more as the show goes on. So there you go, uh, Bourbon Spotlight Bradshaw Bourbon. Uh, if you get, if you see a bottle, I pick one up. It's not bad at all. Stay right there. We got another segment coming up. Rackhouse Ramblings episode forty-two is on the air. I'm back. Let's talk bow hunting on Rackhouse Ramblings, one of my favorite bees. <laughs> Bourbon, bow hunting, bacon, <laughs> Fred Bear, all these different bees. But anyway, uh, October 1st was the first day of our archery season here in Michigan. Um, I get you, know, if there's a handful of you guys out there have been with me on opening day, and you know how my routine goes. I get up in the morning and right away start playing uh, Ted Nugent. The Fred Bear song over and over and over. Have some oatmeal, have some coffee. I usually dance around, kind of uh, uh, really try and be in the moment. 
uh, check the weather, get dressed, things like that. And then usually we all head out into the dark. It's kind of cool. So the morning we went out, um, you could see a ton of stars. We were out uh, 6.30 before the sun came up. And uh, I have two little food plots on my property. Uh, usually they called the front food plot and the back food plot. So I hunted on the back, put our new hunter, uh, Paul, in the food plot up front. And uh, I have, what do I have, five or six different trail cameras. And I keep one on each food plot. And we've been getting a lot of activity uh, at both food plots, but mostly at night um, after the sun goes down in the dark. So uh, Paul sat up front, I sat in back, and... Uh, where did James sit? I'm not sure. James sat in another spot. But anyway, we leave in the morning. Uh, it's usually a pretty festive event. Have a good time. I get a bu bunch of uh, text messages. I think Rick texted me. Gary texted me. Zip, did you text me? I don't remember. I got a, I got a handful of texts anyway. That's pretty cool. So we text back and forth for opening day. That's one of my favorite days of the year. So uh, sunrise, I think, was 7.15. So uh, first light's usually like 15 minutes before that. It was kind of a cool morning. Um, was it, I sat for about three hours, didn't see anything. And the next few, that was a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the next few days were identical. We didn't see anything, but the, uh, the temperatures got warmer each day and more humid by Sunday. I, it must've been hundred percent humidity. I was sweating like a pig and it was 71, 72 degrees. So I ended up coming home early cause it was raining on uh, Sunday, uh, we did see uh, three deer just while we were doing a walk across the street on state land. Nothing shootable, nothing within range. Um, sounds like uh, Paul really enjoyed it, uh, really enjoyed the cabin. I think he got a kick out of all the eye candy. For those of you who have been up to my place, you know I have a bunch of eye candy posted and hanging all over my cabin. There's the uh, door from my Tacoma that got hit by a deer last year. Was it last year? Year before? I can't remember now. I've got a giant uh, remote control airplane hanging from the ceiling. That was the homage to uh, Ann's dad, Tom. Uh, beautiful, beautiful, picture-perfect uh, remote control plane with a little uh, two-cycle engine in it. Just It's probably about six-foot wingspan <laughs> hangs from the ceiling. You'll see a deer hide hangs from the ceiling. You'll see quite a few arrows mounted on some logs, and these are the arrows that we uh, harvest deer when you, one of the rules at my cabin I, I like is uh, when you harvest a deer is that you leave an arrow and it hangs up on the log, your arrow, and you put your little story on there of when you shot the deer and where you sat and uh, how many yards it was, things like that. And guys like, I, I think that's really cool. When you come up there, you can see there's a part of history there. And uh, the other eye candy is my skull collection. Uh, what else do we have hanging around there? We've got a, a great journal. One of my rules is that you write in the journal when you come up there. Write anything, write that you were there, write that you visited, whatever it is. And so I've had this cabin, I don't know, 16, 17 years, 18, somewhere in there. I have one complete full journal. That's got to be 200 pages thick, and I'm on my second journal. And uh, we really get a kick out of reading some of them older stories of the things you, uh, we've done. Whenever When you harvest a deer, you kind of write your story in there and all that, and where you go fishing or whatever it is. You just write something in the journal, so it's our little keepsake. So... Uh, Paul had a good time. He, uh, first time up and I know he's going to come back. He better come back, Paul. I know you're listening to this, but it's going to be fun. And, um, especially when the weather gets a little bit more chilly, uh, we got a lot of ground to cover out back. We did take a walk back to Reed Lake. It was a beautiful, beautiful day. Uh, we, what did we do it Friday? I think we did it Friday. It was absolutely gorgeous. Picture perfect. Uh, no one around anywhere. 
I think Saturday was the duck opener. So when we sat in our tree stands, you could hear the uh, duck hunters uh, shooting uh, at ducks right at, just before sunrise, right? The sun broke. Uh, what else did we do? Shot our bows. Definitely one of the things I like to do is put a dollar bill up on the target, fold it about three times and see who can hit that. So James, congratulations. You were the best shooter. <laughs> we tried out some equipment. Paul had not uh, gone to an elevated stand before. And you know what? He's a larger guy, so I wasn't sure if my tree stands would hold him, but we found one before he left. So the next time he comes up, he's going to have a climber stand. So that's pretty cool. And uh, what else do we have to talk about here? Um, huh. I guess that's uh, kind of, if I shot, if we harvested a deer, I'd have more to talk about. But anyway, um, just as a little interesting fact, I don't know if you guys know, but Fred Bear helped to get archery a specific deer season here in Michigan. And that first season that he started was in 1937. And it was only two counties here in Michigan, Iosco County and Nuego County. And one interesting thing I found at Michigan.gov, um, Iosco County they did the archery season there because apparently there was a law or some sort of regulation about you couldn't discharge firearms in that county. So that's why they chose to do archery there. And so the real, uh, the first statewide season for archery in Michigan was 1939. And in that year, there were 186 licenses were sold for archery as opposed to firearm was 150,000. And the state uh, kept stats on this, and there were four deer harvested using archery equipment that year. So Michigan.gov, I found it, did a quick search on it. So speaking of Fred Bear, my little uh, in honor of Fred Bear, I'm going to do a reading from his hunting journal. It's I've got a book in front of me. It's titled Fred Bear's Field Notes, The Adventures of Fred Bear. And it's really cool. It's a collection of um, journal entries. He traveled the world, uh, went on all sorts of hunts, and kept a journal of his adventure, uh, the adventures. It'd be like, of course, the weather, the places, who they met, who was hunting with them, who his guides were. Uh, it, there was even a couple of entries that cover the costs. Like he would take, if you went hunting with Fred Bear, part of his camp, he would foot the bill for everything. But then uh, when he got back, once he got all the invoices in, he would split it up. So if you needed a plane, if you needed equipment, if you needed a tent, um, food, supplies, uh, whatever it was, he kind of flipped the bill for everything. But then a month later down the road, maybe two months, you would get a little note uh, for Fred Bear and it detailed all your costs. And each individual hunter usually had a little bit different cost depending on how many days you stayed on the hunt. So anyway, here it is. This one, this first one I'm going to read, uh, it's a journal entry from 1962, a brown bear hunt that begins in Cordova, Alaska. This one's one of my absolute favorites. And any of you guys know me know that I'm a big fan also of Tread Barda. Uh, and Tread Barda did a similar hunt to this. So they hunt brown bear uh, off the coast of Alaska. They're called coastal brown bear. And you do it by boat, like not just some little rinky-dink boat, but the boat serves as your base. It is where you sleep, where you eat, where you shower, everything. And then you take a little uh, skiff into shore. So that's what this one is. Details the brown bear hunt out of Cordova, Alaska. Let me have a sip of bourbon. I'm going to wet my whistle. And I'm going to read a couple of pages. I think you guys will like it. Okay, here we go. I'll get my glasses. Chapter 8, Brown Bear, 1962. One of the advantages of making a hunting film is that another trip is usually called for to pick up footage of key shots that were not obtained on the previous trip. 
It's not hard to convince the office that the movie would be a disaster without the additional film, and a follow-up trip is indeed necessary. Following the 1960 hunt, however, this underhand scheming to get away was not necessary since we had obtained no film of a big brownie. Bad weather, too late in the day, no light. So the hunt began at Cordova, Alaska. We spent two days scraping and painting the hull of the valiant maid and loading her with supplies. Bob Munger was my hunting companion again. The trip resulted in the most spectacular hunting footage we have in our entire film library. So that's the preface to the uh, story here. The Valiant Maid is the name of the boat that they were on. And Fred Bear would do these hunting trips, and we did film them in order to help sell uh, the Bear Archery products. And so if you were a distributor, or uh, I shouldn't say a distributor, a retailer, Fred Bear, his salespeople would come into your store, and after hours he'd bring out this uh, projector, roll out a screen, and show you what you could shoot and what you could uh, harvest with a, a bow because many people didn't believe it. So once he started showing these films, they became famous uh, for hunters. He was one of the first people to do these videos before there was video. So here we go. Friday, April 27, 1962. Aboard the Valiant Maid again, Ed Bilderback, the skipper, Harley King, the guide, Dan Correa, the cook. We left Cordova 11 a.m. today, went into Sheep Bay to check on bears. No sign anywhere. We'll sleep here tonight. Saturday, April 28th, 1962, came over past Montague Island and tied up at the cannery dock at Port Ashton. It rained this morning but cleared into a fine day. I'm concerned about the heavy snow still here. Most snow they have had in 20 years. The bears will sleep late this spring. It's funny, he says, that's what we always say. That's the most we've had in 20 years, you know, whenever it is, whether it's 1962 or 2021. Here we go. Sunday, April 29, 1962. Dropped anchor this evening in Nuka Bay after an eight-hour run from Port Ashton. Thought this might be a good place for black bear. We saw a coyote and some whales, but no bear. Too much snow here, too. We are early for bears. Heading for a Fognac Island, hoping it'll be warmer there. Monday, April 30th, 1962. The weather was bad last evening. We dropped anchor for the night in Chugach Bay with its small coves and arms. Not so much snow here. Black bears in the area. We saw one in an open place on the side of the mountain. Went ashore and made a stock, but the wind crossed us up. Took the skiff about five miles down shore and located another bear on a small beach, but he wandered off into the woods. When we saw a third bear on the beach nearby, we, we were almost within range. The wind changed and he made off. Later on another beach, we located more bears and circled through the woods until we were close. One of them came off the beach and bedded down about 20 yards from us. I shot some film of two on the beach. Later, the one who had bedded down joined the others. They are digging kelp buried in the gravel. Bob shot an arrow at one, and they scampered off into the woods. We scattered and sneaked after them through the spruce, trying to get within range. One had crossed a small frozen pond, and I crossed after him. About halfway over, I got an opening and shot the bear at about 25 yards. It was a long shot, and I kept after him. With my eyes on the bear, not looking where I was going, I walked into the thin ice, broke through to my hips, found my bear 100 yards away. We saw a total of six bears today. So from there, I'm going to skip ahead. That date was, where did I go here? Stand by. That date was April. Sorry, guys. April 30th, Monday, April 30th. We're going to skip ahead 
to May 25th. So just think about that. You're going hunting. Hun, I'm going hunting with the guys. We're going to make a video April 30th. Now here you are May 25th. And this is back in the day where there were no cell phones, there were no satellite phones, anything like that. As a matter of fact, on his boat, there's no phones at all. So we're going to skip ahead. Friday, May 25th, 1962. This was the big day. The sun was shining early and kept on shining all day. It was a good day for bears, seals, king crabs, and pictures. I'm going to pause it just so you know, when they were filming, you always had to have good daylight uh, for the film. It had to have really bright daylight. Almost the brighter the day, the better the film. They had no artificial lights or anything. So that was really important to Fred Bear. Whenever he was on these excursions, um, he didn't want to shoot anything unless there was good light. So I'll keep reading. Our hunting day did not start early. The crab pot was lifted first to yield three fine king crabs, one average size and two monsters. Next, we took the skiff off into Bear Bay, a rocky, shallow site with a short beach about 300 yards as long. And in the book here, they have a picture of Fred Bear holding the um, crabs that he's talking about. And this guy's six foot tall. And if he spread his arms all the way wide, side to side, they're about six feet, there, there's a crab leg in each arm. <laughs> So he says they're big crab like crabs, they're huge. Next, we took the skiff into Bear Bay, a rocky shallow site with a short beach, about 300 yards long. As we rounded the point and the beach came into view, a fine bear chose this time to walk out of the alders into the site on the sand. We were a good half a mile away. The engine was quietly shut off while we studied the bear through the glasses. He busied himself pawing and eating in the sand and kelp, while Ed slowly and quietly rowed toward the rocky shore about 200 yards beyond the edge of the beach. If we could make this without being seen, we'd be hidden by a small point that came between us and the bear. Harley watched the bear with glasses to alert Ed to stop rowing when the bear looked away. It was touch and go. Brownie would paw and eat and lie down intermittently. The warm sunshine on his heavy winter fur doubtless brought out sleepy dreams of great summer days ahead, gorging on spawning salmon. Fred Bear is a really good writer, it sounds like. Before we reached shore, he waded out into the ocean, rolled over on his back, and, with his head and four feet sticking out, enjoyed the luxury of a saltwater bath. The tide was out. The narrow rocky shore met the thick alders at high tide line. The mountains started up steeply from there. While rowing across the bay, I shot some 16-millimeter film of the bear. On shore, Harley was to pinch hit as the photographer. <laughs> I reasoned that he could cover our stock from a point some distance from us, and we would need the and would need the telephoto lens. As it turned out, the 25-millimeter would have been proper. Mounting, mounted underneath the movie camera lens, I have a 35-millimeter sequence camera operated by a push button on the forepart of the gunstock mount. This camera, a robot royal, will expose 24 pictures on one wind at the press of a button. Back in those days, you had to wind a camera before you used it. Or you had to wind it every time you, uh, I think, uh, you push the button, then you'd have to wind it. This one, you wind it once and get 24 shots. In this way, with one operator, both still pictures and movies can be taken. The 50-millimeter lens cover the same area as the 25-millimeter movie. Leaving the skiff, we made our way toward a point that would afford a view of the beach and the bear. Ed and I ahead, and Harley with his 270 and the cameras about 25 yards behind. When we were some 50 yards from the skiff, we saw the bear's blonde ears coming toward us. The wind was right. We motioned Harley to squat and, and be still. Ahead of us, there was heaven-sent big rock about four by four feet. Hunkering down, we made our way to it. 
This was the only cover on the entire shore, and we were lucky that it was placed so conveniently. We both knelt down in the shadow of the rock, Ed a bit to my left, and I on one knee with the arrow on the string. We kept our heads down, sure that he would pass on the ocean side, and waited in great anticipation for the appearance of this alder king. He was a good-sized bear. We had concluded that while watching him through glasses, crossing the bay. Up to now, however, our only close look at him had been his ears, and there seemed to be quite a big space between them. All kinds of thoughts go through one's mind in suspenseful moments like this. Would he bolt like the one did two weeks ago when, we saw, when he saw me slowly start to draw the arrow? Or would I have only a frontal shot when he saw us and stared in amazement? We had to stop about 10 feet from the rock because of the sticks that lay ahead. He would see us before he was even with the rock. I was determined to place the razor head through the ribs close up to the shoulder. This would be a clean kill. There would be no excuses. I worried about the three strands of my bowstring that had chafed off on sharp barnacles as I got out of the skiff. Would it hold for this just one shot? We waited. Finally, it was in sight and 25 feet away, coming closer. He turned toward us looked over us standing still. We remained motionless and quiet as stumps and did not register in the bear's consciousness. And they have pictures of all this in the book, by the way, too. I could almost see his mind working. Oh, they must be odd pieces of driftwood in on the last tide. And those odd pieces of driftwood would be uh, Fred Bear and uh, Bilderback uh, standing behind the rock or knelt, knelt down. He turned broadside and walked past us. The 65-pound Kodiak bow came back with the ease of a toy. He did not notice the movement, and the razor head sank to the feathers near the front leg. The impact was considerable, and he roared and exploded down the shore straight toward Harley. We wondered what the outcome would be. Harley, however, endowed with the tradition of good showmanship, stood his ground operating the camera until the bear began to fill the viewer, and it seemed prudent to abandon the camera for the rifle. Cameras are delicate instruments and should not be put down and should be put down carefully, but life is precious. The open shore between the steep alder-covered bank and water measured a scant 20 feet, and Harley's position was squarely in the middle of it. The bear's direction of travel was also right down the middle. In some alarm, we saw Harley, legs and arms flailing in the air, cameras in one hand, rifle in the other, trying to scurry up the slope to leave the open shore to the bear. Ed yelled in his booming voice, Take pictures, I'm covering you. At any rate, the bear passed him at full speed. A short way beyond, it tried to climb into the alders, but could not make it and rolled back down the slope near the skiff. He was dead in less than a minute after his hit. The arrow nicked a rib close to the front leg, passed through a lung, cut a heavy artery near the liver, and went through the diaphragm, just through the skin near the back ribs on the far side. We took pictures and left him to go back to the valiant maid for a bite to eat. It was high tide when we got back, and his feet were in the water. With ropes slung under him, we were able to roll him into the skiff and winch him aboard for skinning on the aft deck. With the carcass intact, he tipped the scales at 810 pounds. The skin squared 9 feet, and the length and width of the skull measured 27 inches. Ed paced the distance of the shot at 20 feet. The bear ran 90 yards from where he was hit. It was a very busy day and a very exciting one and gratifying. A bear at 20 feet looks big when one is down on one's knees looking up. Again, it was proved that an arrow in the right spot will do the job quickly and humanely, regardless of the size of the animal. This was a day when everything worked out just right. The sun was out all day. The bear did his part by coming to us 
Actually, it would have been difficult stock if stock if he had remained on the open beach. It takes breaks like this to be successful with a bow or a gun, except that with the bow, the circumstances have to be more refined and the timing exact. This makes the fifth bear that we've been within 30 yards of. The other four times something went wrong. The range handicap of the bow is great, but the thrills of getting close to your target make up for it. A good-sized bow-legged brownie strutting toward one at 25 feet is a thrill well worth the time and effort. It's a great privilege to match wits with a noble animal such as this that nature has so ably equipped to take care of itself. Wow, that was cool. I could read those stories all day long, but I won't. So that was taken from Fred Bear's Field Notes, The Adventures of Fred Bear. Uh, if you know someone that's a hunter like me or a bow hunter and want to get them a Christmas gift, go on Amazon. You can usually find I to find a used one, um, but it's full of great stories like that. Uh, get yourself a copy. All right, Rackhouse Ramblings. I'm going to take a break, take a sip, and I will be right back with our next segment. How'd you guys like that? I like that a lot. Okay, so here we are in the next segment. Pardon me. I'm going to have another sip. And there we go. Bradshaw bourbon. Get you some. So I spent the, the last few days in my cabin uh, with my couple of buddies, like I was saying. And we had fun. We bow hunted. We shot bows. Of course, we drank bourbon. We did a couple of live podcasts. We did a lot. Um, one of the things we did was just talk, too. You know, like converse. Sit across the table and shoot the shit, right? At my cabin, there's no TV and there's no cable. You still get a cell signal. So, you know, your smartphone is kind of your link to the outside world. We have a radio, of course. But for the most part, while I'm there, I try to enjoy the outdoors. I try to enjoy the company and try to enjoy just being up north and outside, right? It's, um, I think it's beautiful at my cabin. There's trees everywhere. The leaves are all starting to change, um, but still mostly green. And it's like having my own little personal rainforest, I tell people. We have like a canopy of trees all around. It's pretty cool. And so like I was saying at the beginning of the show, I brought this new hunter up. He's a young man. He's fun to be around. He's smart and he's confident. And he's also our future, right? All these, all the young people are our future. And something that he was doing caught my attention. And um, he was forever constantly like bowing his head down looking at his phone and of course when we spoke he looked up you know but then went right back down looked at his phone and I kind of nudged him a few times said, and I didn't want to nag you know I said hey we're at bow camp kind of be in the moment kind of you know not be in your phone right and I didn't want to nag we're all here to have fun and uh, he didn't take anything by it and I, I certainly didn't mean any offense by it or anything but another night we're sitting around the table and we were kind of talking I said hey I think you have an addiction and course he denied it. I said no to your phone I mean um and he says no I, I don't have an addiction I just like to argue with people online they post some stupid shit and I think I paraphrased that he didn't say exactly that but for that's what he said for the most part right and he, he thoroughly sounds like he enjoys it right the banter and all that sort of thing and this kind of caught me off guard um it made me think of that documentary the social experiment right and 
if you don't remember, it's on Netflix. It's this documentary about social media and the internet and things like that. And one of the things they talk about are the algorithms that social media companies use. And the algorithms determine what um, feeds you get, what pictures you get, what social media, as you scroll through and you search things, what it feeds you and how they work. The idea is that the more you are on your phone, the more advertisements you look at, the more money social media makes. So they're goal is to keep you on your phone. And when I thought of this young man, I, he's so much on his phone that the algorithms are working on him. So if he enjoys things like the banter and the controversy and the arguing, so the algorithm figures out what he likes and gives him more and more of it until he can't stop, I guess, right? So here we are up north and it's beautiful out and you can hear the birds, you can feel the breeze, things like that. And he's in his phone and obviously he enjoys it right that's but that's the addiction right um it's I, i'm gonna fast forward to monday today's monday morning and i'm watching the local news and they're talking about the whistleblower from facebook and how she uh talked about the algorithms and the companies are all about making money of course it's not about doing the right thing and they make money by the algorithms by doing uh ads right and the the more I guess in order to make more money and more ads is more controversy, more negativity, more arguing. Because after all, if we put up good news and happiness and, and joyful things, people wouldn't watch, right? <laughs> That's the whole idea. The news learned that a long time ago. Just show all the blood and the gore and you would sell your story and newspapers and things like that. That's what it's all about. So here's what we're going to do. Um... Let's walk through this together. I'm going to pick up my smartphone. I have a Galaxy S9. And I want you guys to try and do this too. Go into your settings menu. And in my Galaxy, it says um, I have a setting for what's called digital well-being and parental controls. It's the same uh, option, right? So if I scroll through my settings and I hit digital well-being, I click on it. And it um, takes me to a screen and it shows me how much time I'm spending on my phone for that day. No shit. It'll even give me a weekly report or give me a reminder. It gives me a weekly report, as a matter of fact, is what the setting I have it on. And take a look at it. And the sad thing is, if you've got hours, <laughs> two hours, three hours, four hours, think about it, five hours, how many hours is this, are you staring at your phone? So if we're up for 14, 16 hours a day, how many hours are you spending on your phone? just scrolling through bullshit. And that's kind of the point that I want to make is rather than, number one, be aware of the hours. You know, we can all try and limit it, of course. I can't ask you to stop. I, I'm guilty too, but I certainly pay attention to how much time I spend on my phone. The sad thing is when you listen to a podcast, that counts too. So <laughs> if the podcast is a half hour long and you listen to it, you know, but I don't know. I think listening to some of the stuff is better than scrolling through social media, getting spoon-fed something that uh, makes your body produce uh, uh, dopamine, kind of like a, somebody pulling the slot machine, right? You keep scrolling till you hit the win. But anyway, digital well-being, look at it. How much time do you spend on your phone? So in the future, let's try and limit some of this stuff, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I'm preaching a little bit, but instead of 
being in your phone, engaging people personally, face-to-face -face, or in a phone call or something, in a Zoom call. If you're going to use your phone for, for something, a Zoom call wouldn't be such a bad thing. Reach out to somebody that you haven't talked to in a while just to say hi. Um, just sit down and talk. It's easy. Give it a try. So that was the uh, the surprise topic I wanted to talk about. Be more social. Be more engaging. Uh, let's do, I guess, like happier things, more positive things. Quit watching all that shit that they're spoon-feeding everyone. So anyway, try not to bring controversy to Rackhouse Rambling. So I'm going to end this episode on a high note. I'm going to practice what I preach. I want to engage someone face-to-face. -face. I want someone uh, to come on down to the studio, spend some time with me. We'll drink a uh, sample a little bourbon. We'll uh, do a podcast. We'll talk. But I want to engage. We want to do some positive stuff. So anyone out there, shoot me a text. We'll figure something out. I'm always looking uh, for people. I want to say thanks to my listeners. Uh, James, thanks for listening. And uh, Paul, you listen too. And thanks for coming up to Bow Camp. I can't wait to see you again. And uh, Rick and Gary, Zip, thank you guys for reaching out to me. Uh, shout out to people I don't hear too much from, but Chris. And uh, who else is out there? Russ. I want to thank all you guys for listening. Rackhouse Ramblings episode 42 is wrapped up. I'm going to try and throw some boss gags in here for my buddy Gary. I'm going to try and throw some Fred Bear into the mix. Oh, you probably already heard that already in my transitions. But anyway, hope you guys like this uh, music that I add on here. I have fun doing it. We'll see you next time. Bye.